Double bill, double bill. Comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill. It's double bill. Goes together like chocolate and peanut butter, like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, like a hamburger and a bun, like baby ducks and staple guns. Record scratch. Double bill, double bill. Comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill. It's double bill. Welcome to Double Bill. Uh, today is a very exciting day. My name is Mikey Kalel Postel. And we are joined by... Uh, I am Brian Watson-Jones. Brian, I already screwed it up. I'm much more groggy than you. Uh, <laughs> Brian, I can't stand to fly, Watson-Jones. I'm Joshua Extended Cut Humphrey. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. <laughs> and we are joined by... Uh, Gregory, don't yet have a nickname, Parks. We are joined by Gregory Parks, who is an improviser. Oh, oh, go, oh, go, go, oh. go, 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 go. Gregory Social Justice League Parks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it took him a few seconds. Yeah, yeah, social, he hit gold. Social Justice League, dawn of social justice. Oh, my God. Uh, if Funny or Die has not done that yet, feel free to have it. Just link us in your credits. It's fine. Please. Greg is uh, Greg is a very is an old, dear friend of mine, and uh, he is an improviser, actor, clown, Mm-hmm. Uh, and writer, not a, not a killer clown, not a killer clown. He's actually a very talented clown. He'll kill and, you with love, uh, and also, yes. um, he is a blue lantern, which is pretty rad. So yes. he's got that on his accolades. And mm-hmm. we are going to be discussing today um, two movies that were critically not very well received. Uh, the uh, impetus was it started that both Greg and I like these movies, and it is uh, Man of Steel, the Zack Snyder reboot of the Superman series, and uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, uh, which was a continuation of that saga. And yeah, they were both. Cr- oh yeah, so I, 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 just, I hear you say saga, and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired already. <laughs> well, so, saga, does saga imply anything other than length? I think that's that's the only criterion for a song. Well, it also it also implies girth, you know, and so and you know <laughs> what to do with it. That's right. So, <laughs> like the ring. All right, it's going to be that kind of podcast. Got it. Go ahead. Mind you, this is early for us, Mikey. Uh, penis metaphor, possible. I know. I know. So, um, it's a Superman story, and I feel like there's really not a lot we can like drag out about uh, about the uh, the whole. You know, Kal-El coming from Krypton, landing on Earth, the Yellow Sun gives him powers. Um, but the 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 crux is here is that these movies were shit on <laughs> uh, critically and by a fan base from basically the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that Greg and I had talked about when we've seen people like you know when you go and you out yourself with somebody who's a fan of something that people hate. Generally, the impetus for these people, especially on social media, is to say, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" You know, yeah. and like, you're, are you serious? Oh, you, oh, and you, oh, oh, you know, it's like, it's basically how we all talk about Trump supporters and Trump himself. Um, are we, is the podcast taking a stand? Well, and I, and I don't, against wanna, Trump, against sexual assault. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, that's a pretty easy stance to take. It's pretty easy. I don't care how many fans we lose. Sexual assault is wrong. <laughs> I'm going to grab her by the yellow sun. So anyway, um, oh, oh, so I liked them. Uh, I remember going to the theater and seeing Man of Steel and really enjoying the shit out of it. And I'm easy to please. And then when I, when Batman v Superman came out, it was kind of hard. It's kind of hard to go into a movie like that with so much baggage that's already been like heaped on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked it 
enough, and then I went out and I bought the extended cut because, and I hate that we live in a society now that like the extended cut has to like prove how awesome, more awesome a movie could have been. Yeah, and it's like, right. well, release that movie then. Like, help help us like enjoy it more. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we're going to be discussing both of these movies. Uh, well, I've heard I've heard your defense about why you why you enjoyed them so far. Mm, yes, from counsel. I think please, I think please. Okay, <laughs> part of this podcast has to be to like chime in. About please, I, I'm just ready to hate. Oh wow, where do I start? Are, are we going with both movies or just starting well, with MOS first? Well, let's we'll start with MOS. But tell me, Mikey gave us a little talk about <clears throat> yeah. why he is connected to these he, films. He gave us a sitting down. I want to hear from you and why you are connected to these films and why you brought them to forth to us to be brought them. Brought them for. <laughs> Why do you stand before us bearing Presents these the cinematic I, I'm having a legal education. I no, require okay. standing no, before okay. I didn't right judge on. anything. Um, well, yeah, I found myself not. I, I didn't revile them at all. At like at worst, like the wor- At worst, I can say eh, I was okay with them, but I actually did enjoy both of them uh, for different reasons, and I. Definitely have not been as married to Batman or Superman from a comic property standpoint as many others might be. Uh, my, well, I grew up. My folks were not in favor of us reading comics, um, so I never. My only exposure to Batman and Superman started out with well, you know, Super Friends, which now as an adult I have long since realized is utterly unwatchable. <laughs> At least to me, like super friend, I, I could not even watch a Super Friends episode for the sake of nostalgia. Oh, um, but the drinking game is great. Oh. I recommend that. <laughs> the liver destroying drinking right. game. Oh, there's levels of rules. You can skip the higher <laughs> levels if you want to make it. There's like one like the repeating animation drink drink. Yeah. <laughs> if the guy I'm going to announce trouble, everything that I do. Everybody's wearing a terrible, terrible stereotype character. Come on. Every time you hear <laughs> Nuck Chuck, you have a drink. Wow, 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 wow. Every time you hear Bat anything but man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <clears throat> in the original, the original Batman series, and then mm-hmm. you know, so that was my main exposure to Batman and Superman. And then when I was in college, I was finally able to one of my you know, this I'm I'm living on my own now. I'm stepping out into the world. You know, that's when I started reading comics. And friends of mine uh, would read Batman, would have Batman, and so I would you know read through the Batman stuff. And I mm-hmm. you know I read the Frank Miller Batman and. Um, <clears throat> and other collected works and individual issues. And so for me, these twists and differences from what I had known up to that point were more an interesting interpretation. So I'd always seen them as an interpretation and never really was entirely married to, you know, Adam West as Batman or <laughs> Michael Keaton as Batman. To me, to me, it was a preference like, oh, I like this take over that take. And so that's where I was coming from rather than being completely emotionally invested in one vision. So canon, canon historically from the, the pulp copy of, of whatever uh, 80 years of Bat comics <laughs> never really flavored your views of what you were seeing. It was never an issue. No, because it's not like you're talking about... For me, it wasn't like you were talking about... You know, biography. It's not like you're talking about Mark Twain and right. you know retconning Mark um, Twain's life or or you know Thomas, Malcolm X's life. Right. Or, Mark Twain you know, did enough like retconning that. of his own life. <laughs> yeah, so, it's not like wait, James Baldwin was an Asian woman. What? <laughs> you know, to me, it's just like oh, we're we're you know you're not doing that. Right. So well, the Batman comics history has enough 
eras that you can pretty much, no matter what type of Batman you enjoy, you can find it. You, you can, can mine it. Yeah, you yeah. can. The goofy one where we'll have a whole issue where he's wearing different color bat suits for some reason. Right, right. Or the 80s where he's fighting, like, Death Robot 4000, who is yeah. just slaughtering people, ripping them in half on the streets of Gotham. It's got a, or uh, even it's, when you're talking, again, Adam West versus Michael Keaton, you know. Like oh, which that would have been a fun episode, and that was a, that was a funny. That's a funny thing that that you bring up though, because I think that getting away from the uh, the comic book, uh, I read a quote that somebody said nobody likes Batman. People wear Batman shit, but nobody really likes him. The movies come out, and you can enjoy them and take them at face value, but. I, I could not tell you... Like, I, Batman as a person? Like, just, I don't like no. Batman as a person? <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> are you actually collecting and reading, like, these detective comics? Are you actually, like, do you know these stories? Do you know about the Court of Owls? Do you know that there's, like, they're on, like, Robin version 4.7 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there's now five Batwomen, Batgirl, Batlady, and they're lesbians. And, like, literally, they have, like... It's it's myriad, and it's just well, it's, not it's, to mention there's a whole you know a whole army of robins now. Like yes. Robin, the whole Robin thing is a movement, as well as yeah. what, Batman Incorporated, Nightwing. So. There's a Red Hood, and the, my point being is that <clears throat> well, someone likes them. Like someone oh, yeah. out, oh, yeah. someone's out there buying those comics. Right? Right. Definitely, it's not they're me comics right now. and they're dumped directly into it. And, and, and that number hot. is not. But, but since we're, but you, were, you were kind of talking about touchstones, so yeah, I want so to talk here, about a little bit, a little bit about touchstones, like where I'm coming from. Sure, I mm-hmm. mention it, like because yeah. I grew up like watching the animated series, which <sighs> is my favorite, like mm-hmm. favorite thing yeah. that I like to touch on with both Batman v both Batman and then with Superman as well. Though mm-hmm. I had only a smattering of Superman growing up, and then like when I started to get into comics, like when I was in college, it was like reading the Long Halloween and a right. couple of uh, a couple yeah, of other yeah. like um like yeah. I think I think I read the Cataclysm. I think that was one of my first exposures oh, yeah. to Batman was sure. that whole arc about where Gotham is just cut off from the rest of America and they're right. sort of left to fend for themselves, which is fascinating and an interesting read. Yeah, the whole No Man's Land story. No Man's yeah, Land, yeah. Which had some weird tangents, but I think actually stuck the landing, which is weird. Yeah, that would actually be really interesting. A lot of those right giant now, epic comic series like against the, the end, it's just nonsense. Because of like how the Constitution works, like mm-hmm. like I have all this legal stuff in my head now. Like, <laughs> I'm like, could could America actually cut off somebody like that? Probably and they and they they use some of that in the Dark Knight Rises, you know, yeah, a little I think bit. That. And like you know, we have the Dark Knight Rises, but then yeah. we have the Arkham Asylum games, which I think oh. is like the next kind of iteration. <gasps> I love those. You yes. float around, you beat up bad guys, and you can be Batman. Yeah. My it's nickname cool. for this was almost press X B Batman, but I didn't think of that. That was so, a little little bit esoteric. So in terms of Batman, like you have to me, like it's competing against the the animated series and the Arkham Asylum games now. Because the Arkham Asylum games is almost like a distillation of Batman at its most essential, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's taking all the rogues, all the villains, all the characters and kind of like doing a Batman's greatest hits over the course of three games. Right? Yeah. So for Four the games. people anyway, so sorry. for the people who are pop culture illiterate, uh it's Batman kind of been, is millionaire Bruce Wayne. Yeah, oh, spoiler alert. Um, so we know, to get into the movies now... We should um, talk about Man yeah, of Steel. So, so yeah. here we go. Um, <clears throat> their, their backstories are almost ingrained in our, in our, in our national psyche, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Batman uh, is basically a kid whose rich parents were murdered in front of him, and he has a lifetime of developing himself into like a super weapon of a man, and gadgets and caves and bats and symbols... And Batarangs. Uh, Kal-El, last son of Krypton, was sent to Earth from a dying planet, and because of the powers that he gets powers from the Yellow Sun, and 
we have a guy, the big blue Boy Scout, and then we have Bat of Gotham. So, um, Man we, of Steel though begins on Krypton. It right? does. It does. And yeah. that's actually what I. It's a really cool beginning. Actually, I thought. Uh, I me really, too. I really like the science fiction atmosphere of Krypton yes. and sort of like the fascist government and the caste yeah. society that yeah. sort of exists. It's Just like, the taste it's really of it, fascinating. The taste yeah. of it being this post-utopian sort of decadent, decaying society, which mm-hmm. is why it all falls apart because they had that. I've, I've read that I've been reading a lot of pulp sci-fi lately in my copious free time and a lot of it deals with you know if a race expands throughout the universe colonizes a bunch of worlds but then there's nothing there eventually the race loses the ambition and shrinks back to its home world again mm-hmm. and of course in, in pulp sci-fi that's usually going to be humans because of, uh, hi right hi <laughs> um, but it was it was nice to see that because it did help explain some of the logic holes of if you have a people, who's powerful enough to shoot a rocket to another planet with a baby in it, how are they all killed when one planet goes? Why aren't anyone else on anything else? That's why. They and used to be, but over the it course, just sort of fell apart. Is it, is it in Man of Steel where you kind of get a flash to it? Like, because, um, what is it, Coral? Who is it? Who's the villain? Played by... Uh, oh, Zod. Zod. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Zod, mm-hmm. they go to a different planet at some point, right? Yeah. And see where, like, a yes. where um, he was? Yeah. When he, yeah. When, he visits, when he visits what is... Uh, when he visits what is, I guess, his form of the Fortress of Solitude, which is yeah. a ship that's in the Arctic or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets uh, Jor-El, played by Russell Crowe, gives him, like, the recitative of, like, what happened to their people, like how they were colonists, how there was like you said the, who, the caste society of like yeah. military versus science, mm-hmm. and yeah, the like, whole the whole thing is like the society is set up as like you're bred for one thing, you're mm-hmm. bred to be a politician, you're bred to be part of the military. Right. Caste, your right. your the genes are yes. literally assembled because we need another guy yeah. to act as sanitation worker. And the yeah. whole like you know the movie I think like repudiates that because like you can go be what you ever, ever you want to be Kal-El you can yeah. be like a superhero you can be which like is super American I'm yeah not, I mean it's like the whole Gata- it's like Gattaca a little bit yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like some DNA of Gattaca in true there. yeah and, <laughs> DNA of Gattaca yeah boom <laughs> and then I mean and, but yeah. he comes to Earth and like the, the whole the arc of the movie is an adult Clark Kent is trying to search for his you know his past and like trying to figure his place in the world okay um at the same time, Lois Lane is trying to figure out what's going on. Okay. And at the same time, the Phantom Zone has been destroyed and Zod is coming to Earth with his his cronies. Yeah. Seems like a lack of planning on the Kryptonians, right. but whatever. <laughs> but, also, but also, like, wildly fantastic timing that he finds his tights and cape, you know, and then learns how to fly. And I, I gotta be honest with you, the, the, the other thing is, like, I really like the idea of when Kal-El learns how to fly. I love the fact that when he can figure mm-hmm. it out, I don't know. It's just like it's my it's a dream, you know, you dream about flying and it's so rad. It was it was I I and that's one of the things that I liked about Man of Steel is the discovery. And uh, say what you want about uh Zack Snyder's direction and mm. David S. Goyer's writing ability. Mm-hmm. But the the idea of rather than him figuring all this out when he was a teenager mm-hmm. But figuring it out as an adult, I think, like, yeah, that's something that people, apparently, the fan base didn't want to see. (laughs) But it was, it also, I think, it also think culturally ties into the idea that so many adults learn at one or several points throughout their life is like, holy crap, I have to figure some new stuff out. I don't have this all Mm -hmm. figured out. And it's, you know, every decade, roughly or so, you know, 
there's some identity shift usually. It's like, oh, what am I now? Or what do I do now? What am I now? So I think that that tack of the story kind of touch touches into that. And that's something that I, that I was okay with. And I think the big thing about Man of Steel is that it was... And I, that it was more of an identity story than, say, the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve, you know. It yeah, just mm-hmm. assumed it, it just assumed that he already had figured out who he was and you're already deep into the story. Right. Mm-hmm. But it starts out once Kal-El starts out in the in the movie, he's a dude who's been he's what, in his I don't know how old he's supposed to be in the movie. Early thirties. Yeah, early, early thirties. You know, you've got an early you've got a guy who's been pretty much dealing with and then hiding who he was for he's kind of a super several drifter. years. Right. Yeah. 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 Super drifter. Well and here here's invariably this is the one of the arguments that comes back is like the comparisons with uh, I wanna I wanna bring it up because the Christopher Reeve, the original Superman directed by Richard Donner, the yeah. Salkind movie, is is kind of untouchable. It was it it hit all the beats. You mm-hmm. got it, it like it it played out perfectly. He's mm-hmm. bright, um, and it's in, in Christopher Reeve. People have in their mind as their Superman, mm-hmm. and we've had like dozens of like actual physical representations. We've had Dean Cain. We've had Brandon Routh do the remake of uh, Superman Returns, mm-hmm. which I think also gets a lot more trashed than than it deserves because mm-hmm. the the leaps in technology show cooler and cooler things. I saw a two minute snippet of Supergirl where they're now introducing Superman on the series, where they save a spaceship. And it's like, if I knew that could have been possible, I would have, I lost my mind. On a TV show. On a television show. <laughs> they're capturing it, and they're using super breath and supervision. It's like, holy shit. And they're, and I mean, it's just like, it's, a, it's, it's great. And I don't know, like, when, when these movies come out, I think the big problem is uh, we as fans, or people as nerds, as geek properties, have in their minds who they want and who they don't want, you know? Mm-hmm. And this goes back, we've had conversations about that. It goes back to like, okay, so Blade comes out in 1998, and we have like yeah. Amazing Blade. And suddenly, like, the dam bursts, and we get X-Men. And people are like, well, we don't want to have some stupid six foot two Australian playing Wolverine. Wolverine's a little short, hairy bastard. And, but at, 16 years later, the motherfucker's been doing it like 12 times, and they love mm-hmm. him. He's doing great. Um, Brandon and like I remember being a part of the search. I was part of the search for Superman Returns. Yay. I auditioned for it. I walked in there in a suit and glasses. Had to read dialogue from the first movie Hooray. at JR Casting, and Great. I walked wow. in there and they're like, "Hi, Michael." I'm like, "Hi." I'm really more of a Hal Jordan Green Lantern guy. I don't think I'm tall enough, but I'll read the dialogue, you know. And of course, you know, Brandon Ralph gets it and he gets shit on. So I think, but you were mo- second, second choice, definitely. If Brandon had a scheduling conflict, I was actually read. I read for Baby Cal out. Um, <laughs> oh, so, that makes sense. So we got Henry Cavill, who I think does a great job, and we bitch about Goyer and Zack Snyder's mm-hmm. color palette being being dimmer. And I think there's there's some there are some merits to it. But for me, the movie and from all that, I mean, it is people complain about like oh the buildings are being destroyed. I'm like there are two. Ginormous power power people <laughs> throwing each other into buildings, and he doesn't know any better than to like get him out like into the country or something. You know, mm-hmm. it takes place in Metropolis. And as I was watching Man of Steel, I remember this. I'm like, and like I saw the Wayne Tower W. Like somebody's like, hey, yeah. Easter egg, and I'm like, I wonder if that's gonna like have repercussions down the road. You know, because there's always been like a little thing. Even I know this from not reading a lot of Superman comics that the government and the people of Earth have been like a little leery. You know, he's a savior, sure, but they're also like, well, what if he gets pissed off one day? Mm-hmm. You know, what if he has a bad morning or, like, sees some shitty news and decides mm-hmm. to get up and, like, I'm going to, uh, let's say, 
I'm going to take a big dump on New York, and it's going to cave in because the density of my poop is Kryptonian, and it's going to cause a landslide. I like Nibbler's Dark Matter. There was a, exactly. <laughs> my, my favorite take on that, I read a comic once where uh, they, some Superman villain analog had kidnapped Lois Lane analog, who is legally distinct from Lois Lane, and the whole plot mm-hmm. was he was going to set her up in a death trap, and then when Superman analog broke through, the power of the breaking through would kill her. Like as a direct repercussion, sure. he would be responsible. It would destroy his moral, moral code, and then they would join forces and rule the world. And this secondary hero had been trapped and was be- having this explained to him was like, "So you think you're going to ruin his moral code?" And his first thought isn't going to be, "I've always wondered if I could pull out a circulatory system without ripping it." Oh, look, a volunteer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, there's a couple of logical leaps in there that that right. villain wasn't thinking about. <laughs> and so. So with Man of Steel, I I enjoyed it. I thought I'll 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 go out there and say I, here are some of my gripes. I thought that uh, casting Kevin Costner, Diane Lane as his parents were fine, cool. Um, I thought Kevin Costner, like saying maybe don't save him, you know, like he learns his moral code from his parents, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought like making going yeah and like and like making him not save him so he doesn't make a spectacle of himself yeah. was a little like. It was. It was. There was more gravitas with like Pa Kent having a heart attack and having that young Superman in yeah. the original. Yeah, what that say. was is like, oh, the writers are thinking we have to kill off Superman's dad. Well, how do we kill off Superman's dad? Yeah, and, right. Oh, let's. I kind of contrived the, the lines. The lines are. I will never forget this because it it broke my heart as a kid. Was all these powers? All and these I couldn't save them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just like that's the whole thing. You know, like you can do everything. You can. You can. You know. You can hear clouds scraping together. You know, but you can't save a guy if you're like across the world. He just kind of collapses and has a heart attack, and yeah. it's your dad. Yeah, see, you know? yeah. I kind of like the scene where Kevin Costner's character um, was saying maybe you shouldn't have saved them because it it sort of hammered home that these guys are winging it. Like all parents are winging it. They're trying to oh yeah yeah gather the accumulated wisdom of their parents and all their friends and society as a whole and put together a human being using it, and that's hard. But these guys are like, I don't. This kid could literally kill us with a sneeze. I. What do we do? I, I don't know. Keep I it to yourself. Just <laughs> like, try just and kidding. encourage him not to do that. Mm-hmm. What's well, your special purpose? Yeah. Right. Well, I think for one of the Always things I like into the sky. Uh, one of the things I did like appreciate about Kevin Costner as Pa Kent and have you know towing that line, you know, pulling, you know, trumpeting that thing is just like. Yeah, Pa Kent wasn't trumpet, I triggered trumpet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> trigger warning. He. Uh, Pa Kent was acutely aware and thus afraid of what people do to things and people, what people do to people and things that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that I I could understand Pa Kent's fear and I could understand. So it wasn't Pa Kent just just going, I'm just, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Pa Kent was legitimately afraid of what would happen to Clark Mm -hmm. if it got out. That would be a weird undercurrent if it just turned out to be Pa Kent's secret fetish that a whole school bus full of children drowns. (laughs) Maybe you should have let them drown. Maybe we should put them in the river again. (laughs) Damn it, Pa Kent. I'm sorry, Dad. Do you want me to go put them back? I'll just go collect all the kids. (laughs) Throw them in the river. And then that was, you know, that was that effect on and then we see that effect on Clark throughout his life to the point where he's, you know, a 30 some year old dude working on an oil derrick. And then he, but you know, so that was, that was what he'd learned from his father and from his mother. Cause his mother was obviously, I thought obviously 
you know, it's like, you know, you've got these things, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to live with this, but you know, you can do great stuff. You do you, son. Yeah. And his dad going, mm, be careful. It's like stay undercover. And then he's there. So in those moments, you find out that Clark really does. He's like, no, I can do this. I can help people. Mm-hmm. And I will. So, you know, people wanted, I think, I feel that people wanted the more Christopher Reeve Boy Scout. Yeah. But they were in, in Man of Steel with Henry Cavill and Goyer's writing and Snyder's directing. You were getting some of the inner workings of the Boy Scout, you know, it's like it's like crap. It's um, over explanation. We don't need too yeah. much. Yeah. But it's just but then they direct him to like look constipated, like he's really yes. weighing mm. he's like always like I can't And somebody somebody said that in a review and I got it. Like yeah. when he saw like I can see that. there's like there's like earthquake happening in Mexico and he's just like it's like, no, it, we want him to be like It's like, oh, yep, I gotta right, do this. I gotta do Boom. this. There's no question. And yeah. the thing is, is Jorel Originally played again by uh, Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. uh, and then, <laughs> yes. uh, but you know, but Jor-El gives him like his little like upper speech, and I thought yeah. Russell Crowe did a good job. He's like, you know, you are you you are going to be a savior. Of you sorts. can do great stuff. You can do great things. It's not a speech like uh, the great people, Kalo. They want to be. They try to be. But you will help them find the sun. You know, it's like yeah. You can't I am have literally that reading of... these words off of your stomach. Right. I would really like to have Marlon Brando walking around the ship as <laughs> Russell Crowe did. Like, uh, <laughs> no, no, he would just be like, yeah, Grimace and a moo moo, white Follow me, Lois Lane, uh, through the ship. Okay, so I'm, uh, so I'm the gonna just skip side. ahead a few steps. But, yeah, I don't have to I, uh, the things I think one of the things I think Zack Snyder also does really well, and this goes back to my little inner geek and the one of the things I complained about I remember when when Michael Keaton was first cast as Batman it made no fucking sense to me yeah like oh yeah who is what? why is Mr. Mom why is Beetlejuice playing like Gotham's Defender and you know yeah they put him in a muscle suit but I'm like I why aren't our heroes like nobody can be like a cartoon version of like that musculature but Zack Snyder starting with 300 mm-hmm. makes his motherfuckers get in shape and they're on CrossFit and you can Instagram them and Henry Cavill's doing the ropes and yeah. doing the squats and so when Henry Cavill gets all of his clothing burned off it's like well that is that's Superman that's actually like, that is a man yeah. who's like in his costume sans rubber padding and he's lifting up an oil derrick, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, that's what he's doing." Well, I mean, Adam West did Batman without any sort of do not cap on padding. do not cap on Adam West. He is one of my favorite Batmans. Oh yeah, that motherfucker is suave. <laughs> he, is. he rocks an ascot and then he rubs himself down on a pole, and then he's Batman, and he mm-hmm. can yeah. <laughs> We're rewatching so, the series now, and I, I realized I'd never seen this before. The Batman pole going down the Batcave is about twice as wide as the Robin pole. There is symbolism <laughs> there. <laughs> there is an uncomfortable oh. level of symbolism to that. Uh, all right, so then uh, the other problems I remember reading about was that, uh, again, we, we just touched on it, the destruction of, of Metropolis yeah. and people complaining about it. Can I, t- can I talk about that? Yeah, of course. Please, please. Uh, so, you know, Zod like, comes to Earth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what sort of the arc of the movie and they first go to Smallville right Mm -hmm. and there's this whole sequence in Smallville where it's just like they destroy the town yes basically and then later you have I have barely survived (laughs) yeah exactly Mm -hmm. Harry's shoe story they ruin they ruin Sears Uh, then they go in Metropolis Sears ruined itself and they like are destroying all the buildings and everything and the raw brutality of that I found really interesting like Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. film itself like uh, 
Superman going toe to toe with uh, the female Kryptonian. I can't remember her name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something um, all and the other which was just confusing. Yeah, yeah. That's all Jor El, Kal El, Blah El, Blah Blah. If you make a, if you have four Kryptonians in your movie, why do you give two of them similar last names? Yeah. That's not <laughs> a difficult thing to fix. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so like when they're fighting there. I thought that was fascinating just to watch them destroy everything because I think mm-hmm. if there's a premise in Man of Steel it's just like this <laughs> if there's a premise in Man of Steel <laughs> like it's like <clears throat> gods are among us and they're like they can destroy shit like yeah. like they can literally tear us up and we have no real defense against it and those two sequences really hammer that home yeah I like yeah. what I like. So, also. like, I, I don't have necessarily a problem with the destruction of Metropolis at the end of it, because and like that whole Boy Scout through line, like people mm-hmm. expecting him to be a Boy Scout. Yeah. I don't necessarily expect him to be, and like the thing is, is like you have to think about these. I think in terms of like what they're trying to set up, because like this gets into Batman v Superman, but they repudiate like the metropolis sequence to mm-hmm. a certain extent because this is like you see it from Batman's point of view at the beginning yeah. of Batman Beast and they and they start off with the whole yeah. gods among gods come to earth yeah so i mean that's Zack Snyder's whole shtick in all the all of these is the gods are among us yeah. and that like so it's it's one of these stepping stones on uh, Superman's arc that he's going to realize that oh yeah i have to like be cognizant of what the fuck i am doing right right yeah and, like, the destruction of Metropolis, yeah, it's, like, kind of goes against what Superman is if you think Superman is all about being Boy Scouting, protecting people. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the right interpretation of Superman, but there is no right interpretation of Superman. Right. And, yeah. And, you know, that all that destruction was happening in the course of him doing the Boy Scouting thing. Yeah, he yeah. just, he, like, literally had just been Supermanning as Superman yeah. like, for, like, 15 minutes but he'd also been like soaking up yellow sun the entire time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, as these new gods are coming on and like discovering their powers, you know, I, I, I guess my, other, I have, my my quibble is like, you should be fucking mopping the floor with these guys. These guys just figured out like, oh, wow, I'm super strong. Like when yeah. Zod like rips his armor off and starts floating, you're like, okay, so now some shit's gonna go down. He's starting to kind of he's getting his he's getting his tempo. Um, but yeah, I had in the con like you said in the context of it when he when he kills Zod. That's how he figures out his moral code. Like, what yeah, are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to, like, save these innocent lives? And this person is, what? like, absolutely willing to destroy this entire world, every single living piece of it. And, and he tells you that much. Yeah. In no uncertain terms. In no uncertain it's, terms. Well, okay, so one of my major issues with Man of Steel as a film is that I don't think it finds the right balance between um, the expectations, like, how much it relies on the expectations the audience comes in with. Because every time you create something that's based on an existing property, whether it's a straight-up reboot or remake or Mm -hmm. just the first interpretation from one style of art into another, um, you're going to have to deal with the fact that some audience is completely ignorant of the source material and some audience knows it inside and out, and you have to find the balance between those things. Mm -hmm. I say that as a guy who's written adaptations before. You have to know, find the right mix of... I'll put this in and then people will know that I understood the source material and I read it, but I'll put this in so that if you don't know who Superman is, you know what the hell is going on sure, for the duration sure. of the movie. And I, I, I'm picturing an asterisk at the end of like those sentences. Like, oh, yeah. See Star Wars The Footnotes are tough in a movie, but you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my God, this but, movie's great. It's like Star Wars. Oh, my God, this movie sucks. It's so much like the original Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's what the Force of Well, it's not doing, right. Yeah. It's like we didn't base it on Star Wars. We it's based like, it on Flash Gordon. Which, if you look, yeah. but 
the I don't Man of Steel. A lot of places found that right balance, and a lot of places didn't. Like him building his moral code within the film itself. The we never got from Pa Kent and Ma Kent that you know with great power comes great responsibility style speech. Of, right. This is what you should do. This is why you have to be a moral center. Yada yada. You hear. Um, Jor-El say that a little bit, that this he can be an inspiration to them. Mm-hmm. He'll be a god among them, but he can inspire them to be better. But that never comes up to uh, Clark Kent until he discovers the spaceship. What he got as a child was hide, don't reveal yourself, even if it means people dying, which is the exact opposite lesson of mm-hmm. instead of putting yourself out there and being endangered in order to inspire people to be better, hide, otherwise people will see you and you'll be in danger. And But to that, my favorite moment in that movie that I laughed out loud and um, I clapped <laughs> is when he slips up. When he when he lets that like pee. And that was when he was working at the bar and he goes up and mm-hmm. like, asks his guys to leave and they dump the beer on him. He's just like... Ugh. And the guy like goes to punch him and like he's like... Boom, and like looks at him and he's like... Quit sea leaves. And so when the guy goes out, he finds his truck. Yeah, and and those, like, holes, and you're just like, ah! <laughs> I love that. That's yes. called a super middle finger is what that is. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, yeah, and that made sense because it grew from what it was. But the the emotional arc of the movie does build towards that fighting Zod moment where he has to decide whether or not to kill. Mm-hmm. And there has been nothing in the movie so far to give him an ironclad I must never kill yeah. rule. It's not really but, set up. And it would have been... Pretty easy to put in something where he fought, you know, a mugger or something, some minor thing, and realized how easy it would be for him to kill, and sets himself that rule carved in iron so that he always remembers that he can't cross that line. Yeah, there, I, can, I can agree with that. There's yeah. a dozen yeah, ways you can so. set that up. You and can have Mazda set it up. You can have Pa cut it up. You can have it just mm-hmm. have something that happens to him. Because it would be very easy for Pa Kent at some point during his whole, like, like growing up period to be like, you have these amazing powers you got to be careful about stepping over this line because mm-hmm. you can very easily kill somebody. You must never kill anybody. Right. Right? Yeah. And it, then that it, follows through the rest of it to that moment where he has to decide where he's mm-hmm. going to kill Zod or not. And then well, it makes this, it has a more emotional impact when he does. So many heroic movies have that moment where they explain why we don't just straight up kill the villains. I mean, Punisher doesn't have that moment. But <laughs> like Lord of the Rings has that speech of why didn't, why it's a pity no one kills Gollum. Ah, but... It's, what if he shouldn't have died? Yeah. You can't take it back. That's mm-hmm. the one thing you can't take back. Mm-hmm. And that's the good guy moral code in films in a nutshell, is that the reason we don't kill people, even if we know they're irredeemably bad, is that once you kill one person, it gets really easy to kill a second person. And who are you to make the judgment of which ones you should and which ones you shouldn't kill? If you kill nobody, then you've set yourself up with that moral code, and you know you'll never do it wrong. And that's also the example that you need to set to the people. Like, look at me. I am I am right here among you, and I'm saving your lives, and I will never put myself above you. I will always just help. And so, like, if I can do this, and I can basically wipe you guys out with a, with a heat vision, maybe you guys can think about doing it just on the regular as normal people. So um, I think, I guess, what I'm also going to take away is that Man of Steel... While when it first came out wasn't super well received and like a blockbuster like say the Avengers, mm-hmm. um, I think we can all agree is like it, there's more redeemable qualities to it yes. than we maybe originally had thought. I you know? I yeah. liked Man of Steel. We came out of it and I was like, oh okay, I, I like yeah. that. That was fun. Yeah, there's a lot of good <clears throat> stuff in it. I think the the okay. So there's this theory I heard of a while ago about plot holes 
that the the real trouble with potholes, if you're watching a Western and a guy is a six-shooter and he fires eight shots and then reloads, the problem isn't that the director, actor, editor didn't know how to count to six. The problem is that the audience is counting instead of paying attention to what's going on. Right. So you've failed the story in some way, so at that point people are more interested in how many sh- bullets are being fired than where they're being fired and what they're aiming at. Mm-hmm. If you hook people good enough, they won't notice the plot holes until a decade later when people point out that, yeah, a T-Rex, did he levitate or did a giant hole get dug right after the fence got punched through? And you realize, oh, God, that's right. That was a giant mistake they made. And I didn't care because I was way too excited about what was going on. It's a balance because you have to keep the audience in mind throughout this whole point. Like, you can have plot holes galore if people Mm -hmm. are hooked. Right, but once, <laughs> once you once you start like going a little bit below this, like the movie the movie loses goodwill mm-hmm. at certain points. If you go below this point of goodwill, people's like what eagerness to find like all the flaws start yeah. to come out. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got you. Potholes galore is my favorite Bond girl. Um, <laughs> do you want to maybe Ooh, move on to? I think we yeah. should like take a little break and then we'll come back and talk mm-hmm. a lot about Batman v Superman. Yeah. Right on. Mm-hmm. Thank you, true believers. Uh, I have a story that I was sharing beforehand. Oh, a story, huh? That's Marvel, guys. So bring it in. Oh, no. So Ben Affleck went on Jimmy Kimmel live, and uh, Kimmel's like, so congratulations, you, this was a couple years ago, he goes, congratulations, you're Batman. He goes, yeah. He's like, funny story about that. Uh, He got a phone call from Kevin Smith, because Ben Affleck and Kevin Smith go back. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And And Kevin Smith is a gigantic nerd. And he's a nerd. He's like, he goes, hey, man, congratulations on on getting Batman. Stay away from Twitter. And Affleck's like, what? what are you talking about? And he's like, he goes, just don't go on Twitter. Whatever you do, stay away from Twitter for a little while. And he said, he goes, so I was like, he's like, so I was like fucking curious. And so he goes on Twitter and he's like, Affleck is Batman? No! <laughs> and with that, we are going to talk about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Dawn and, of Justice. Uh, Which like I have to, to admit, not until a week before we watched this did I get them at Justice League. It just didn't didn't click in my brain at all. <laughs> I thought it was just a collection of words. Well, you were busy. So, yeah, you're so busy. That's your excuse. This movie uh, was also, I mean, it's just like... Lambasted. The, 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 the criticism that was leveled at Man of Steel was was continued and then uh, thickened uh, quite a bit. Well, starting, of course, with the idea that uh, Ben Affleck was cast as Batman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does all the things. It gets into the pre-production. We start seeing images and the movie comes out. And it gets shit on. But Joshua... I'd like to actually defer to you. I know oh, you're going to defer to me, huh? Right now. And I'm going to say this. Uh, I liked it. I liked the whole idea of it. We'll get into it because uh, the idea of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, is that uh, Batman is an elder Batman. He is in his 40s, as Ben Affleck is. He's been in Gotham City fighting crime for a long time. But he's gotten uh, he's gotten a little bit more violent um, there's, I guess, some backstory. He's become more and more violent. He brands criminals. With that's the, all, but that's not true. Like in the movie, like that's just all set up that Luther is doing, like in the r- background. Sure, sure. Well, he does but, brand, but he does criminals. brand them with like a red hot. And he, brand. he is getting more extreme in his body. He's getting more extreme in his old age, but he's he's getting old. And uh, the brand being a bad thing for criminals in prison—that's a Luther. So, yeah, so the idea is that the, the what had happened in Metropolis—that's a Luther. The violence that had happened in Metropolis in Man of Steel uh, is the ripple that sets the whole movie in motion that makes Batman. And we'll get we'll get into the the, the Lutherian 
machinations, but that make uh, that make them kind of like go at at uh, butt heads together. So Batman is older, and he he wants to take Superman down. Um, because legitimately, note, he sees the threat in Superman because Metropolis was just destroyed because, you know, Gotham right. City is just right over the bay. Ugh. Right over the bay. And also his his building, his CEO, like his CFO or whatever was in the building. Uh, the movie starts with, an, 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 uh, provocatively enough, with like this 9-11 imagery of like yeah. clouds and he's driving no. into the fray. Then, and, I, and I gotta tell you, that beginning section when he's running into the cloud is like really like, holy shit. Yeah, that that is badass. But there's the there's a... a Theory that in the last fifteen years, every big action disaster movie has reenacted nine eleven just as a way for America specifically to try and process nine eleven. Sure, that that's why every Avengers movie, big Avengers movie, uh, every in Man of Steel and therefore in Batman versus Superman, in all of those, you see giant skyscrapers getting punched through and then falling down, and then people trying to fight against that because it's still us trying to fight against this thing that happened and scarred us and yada yada. That was really dismissive. But, um, so Batman versus Superman does open with that. It opens with someone PTSD because of 9 11, yeah. basically, except that 9 11 can be now focused onto a flying blue guy. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's where the movie kind of gets in motion. And then we have, and what I, what I enjoyed is that they didn't, they don't waste time like doing the huge Batman backstory. And I think I appreciated that as an audience member. We don't need another. Yeah, like Batman's Batman been great. Right, yeah. <laughs> but he's been he's been at it. So some of the directors have finally figured out we can have a quick we can have Spider-Man origin in 3 minutes. We can have a Batman origin in 6 minutes. It's yeah. fine. The yes, Batman brand is strong enough that everybody understands where Batman came from. Yeah. yeah. It'll so, leave a permanent scar that Batman brand. So liked it, liked it, liked it, liked the way it went through. Uh had problems with it, but and in the end at at the end of the movie, I I felt like it was it was quality. It was setting up the world that they're trying to get at, and I think I actually think that they're they're learning their lessons. DC DC and Warner Brothers are actually starting to kind of figure out that they're they're trying to add some levity, and I think that this movie uh, was heavy and heavy-handed. But I think we should probably talk about, like you said, the acting because what do we find out? So this is where I want to begin. Go in the last in the first half of this, we talked a little bit about goodwill in movies, right? Mm-hmm. This man, or sorry, Batman v Superman starts with the whole Metropolis sequence again, and you're sort of seeing it from Batman's point of view, yeah, from, from the, the ground. ground, yeah, from the ground level. You're reenacting 9/11. For, yep. It's a sort of, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about like. Um, uh, Godzilla and how mm-hmm. Japan is reenacting Nagasaki yeah. Hiroshima, Hiroshima yeah. through Godzilla. Yes, right. yes, yes. Uh, so that's happening, and that's an interesting way to start the movie. And I had some goodwill for it that was probably coming off of Man of Steel because we watched it back to back. And so it's like building up goodwill, building up goodwill, and then Jesse Eisenberg shows up. Mm. And every time Jesse Eisenberg shows up, my goodwill just dips. Like, it just goes <laughs> down. And then I start hating everything about the movie for a while. While, while when Jesse, goes, Jesse Eisenberg goes away, things start maybe building up a bit, and then he shows up again, and go, down it goes. Yeah. And I don't know if, like... Like, I saw... I have a good example for this. I saw a Fringe Festival show a few years ago. It was by Out of Towners. And um, what had happened is, like, it was getting terrible reviews. And so, like, I think there was a campaign to, like, go see the show. To, like, get, make sure that um, the Minnesota theater community was well represented and was doing right by their guests and everything. And I went and saw this thing. And there was one performance in it that just drug the whole show down. Yeah. Like, like just a lodestone. One person did it. And, like, it made it excruciating to sit through. And, like, 
her acting ability was just like at a very low point like it did not want to watch any scene with her in it and when Eisenberg shows up I kept thinking about that oh, wow. fringe festival show <laughs> sure, because sure. I did not every time like I think like the first couple scenes it's like okay where is this where is he coming from and right. then like everything it starts seemed like they down. were setting up something interesting that the the billionaire villain wasn't you know a, a typical like suit and built himself up from nothing and owns industry and real estate and Trump's but more like a Google startup billionaire. Yeah, yeah I mean, Zuckerberg. I he I wanted to be Zuckerberg. I don't want to insult Zuckerberg by comparing <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Ironically, he played Zuckerberg. Yeah, fun, is yeah, that ironic funny. or is it just an unofficial sequel so, like, to the social network? Like Eisenberg, like his energy was fine for Zuckerberg, fine for a lot of, couple other movies. It was, did not fit here at all. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened and what their thought process was uh, in terms of his... Heath Ledger as a Joker happened. Yeah, uh, Heath Ledger as a Joker happened. I want to finish a thought and then you could... Uh, I'll, I'll let you jump in here. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, toward this, like, I was watching like the last 30 minutes of the film, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, the fight sequence is happening with against Doomsday and I'm like, okay, I'm into this. Wonder Woman's being good. They're all doing things in the fight and everything. <laughs> And, you know, they're all working as a team. Yeah, like, Batman's yeah. kind of standing off like, I don't want to get into this shit because, like, oh... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and Wonder Woman's the one shouldering all the... But, you know, the funeral, <laughs> funeral happens, spoilers, uh, of Superman, and then, you know, it cuts back in the extended edition back to the... Prison. Prison. With his getting his head shaved. Where he's so getting his head shaved yeah. and everything. Yeah. And then, you know, Batman goes in to threaten him. And Zuckerberg, I can't. I don't even know what Zuckerberg is saying because my interest. As I just like that you're mouthful, accidentally sorry, calling I, Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. <laughs> it's, it's, it's conflated so hard. It's, your head. It's, it's, it's hard. Well, I mean, well, it doesn't help that they both end with Berg. Eisenberg right. And sure. Sure. Anyway, well, what if they'd actually cast Mark Zuckerberg? What What if that was like his bucket list? My thing? apologies to Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, so anyway, like Eisenberg is talking, and I'm like, I have. N- don't care what you are saying, like, at all. Like, I just want the scene to end so I can watch the, like, final part of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So, Greg had a thought. Greg, yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I, I echo that. Like, one of, the, one of the things that I did not like about the movie was how Lex Luthor was written and directed, how yeah. Eisenberg played him. Um, I, I, learned, I learned a while ago at uh, the Daredevil movie... That the Daredevil movie was my big was my big switch. Like before I re, before I was really doing a lot of stuff on on stage. You know, I was, I was still uh, in the circus then. Um, but it's like, oh, it like no, Ben Affleck's a good actor. But if you know this, and actually, you know, um, episode one also helped because it's like Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman. What's going on? It's like those those two movies was like, yeah, it's writing and direction. Mm-hmm. Like these are good actors. It's just that the writing and direction yep. were kind of off. Like the vision was just something was up with the vision, and I didn't like the vision of Lex Luthor. It's like if, if you want to make him charismatic, fine. Um, and this is probably one of the ways that I suppose I am a little bit tied onto canon. I suppose, mm-hmm. but you know, you can have different interpretations. But for me, the interpretation that works for Lex Luthor is yeah, he can be charismatic, but he's ruthlessly intelligent. He's an amazing strategist. Mm-hmm. And to, if you actually stop and hear him talk, it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. And that's, you know, and well, you can see why, as opposed to Eisenberg's Luthor, I didn't, the, the way that was played, played, written, and directed with Eisenberg's Luthor, I didn't get any of that in his performance. And I thought they were going a little bit 
too far into the idea of oh he's oh your bad guy's manic. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's easy it's easy he's to make anti Tony Stark. He is he is Obadiah Stane from the first Iron Man. He's do you remember Jeff Bridges? Yes, bald ass Jeff Bridges who was like. It, the dude plays the piano, yeah. plays pizza, and you know I'm, I know what's I'm happened from, to Flynn. Yeah, and like seriously, he turns, he's but he's like the guy behind it all, mm-hmm. and like you don't you don't want him to be because it's Jeff fucking Bridges. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, that I think it leads up to my my problem with that, and I agree with you one hundred percent, Joshua. Lex Luthor is a fucking a hard bad guy to play because in a world in these worlds that are built up where they're criminal clowns or they're super powered Kryptonians mm-hmm. or they're doomsdays. Or whatever, you got a guy who's got to be. Sm- uh, uh, my power is I'm smarter than everyone. Well, and but here's the thing: Gene Hackman was a decent Lex Luthor, but at the same time, that's all your your end game was land. And then yeah. we have Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey again, great actor. But I thought there was like moments. I think Batman the animated series, and then going into like oh, Superman yeah. Adventures. You know the animated Superman. Yeah, uh, Clancy Brown. Doing the voice, dude. Of, yeah, but like, oh. but every time Lex Luthor was on, it was just like I am controlling every moment of my life. Every piece of my life is in control. When I talk to Mercy, I'm gonna say, "What are you doing here?" And like that, this is menace, menace, menace. You know, but like, but then when you come out in front of the public, like, "Hey, look at me! I'm I'm like a politician. I'm awesome. I got a bald head. It's that's my gimmick." And the coked up Luthor that we saw in this movie, force feeding green Jolly Ranchers to a guy for favors. Red, it's cherry. Oh, Duke. Yeah, <laughs> and then like, uh, and then, but then the, the impetus of him a like senator, him US like senator, but like I, I can get him like wanting to collect Kryptonian artifacts because he's like I I need to be if I'm going to take over the world I want to be bigger than the Man of Steel and then, and then that's the whole point the goodwill I think dropped because it's mm-hmm. just like that's it that oh. is it you were you've been like you know the hidden identities of everybody already and that's how the dawn of justice happens well why why not I don't. <laughs> the, the Lex Luthor they should have pulled, and I don't know if this would have made it a little bit too much like Batman or like perfectly too much like Batman, was the one from Red Sun, which has everyone here read that? Has anyone yes. here read that? Yeah. Um, the Communist Superman? Yes, for the for the listeners who haven't read it, um it's uh it's an Elseworlds sorta of Elseworlds story where um Superman lands on Earth twelve hours earlier, so he ends up in the USSR and he's raised um as a communist Man of Steel, the perfect, the Ubermensch, um, works for Joseph Stalin, but he still has that strong moral core. There's, it's implied that that's just a part of him. He eventually starts rebelling against it because he realizes he's a hand of a kind of fascism. And yeah, kind of fascism. They When they loop around far enough, they, they cross yeah, each other again. Um, but Lex Luthor is still an American, and he becomes the American scientist who's fighting this giant communist menace. And his whole thing is... Uh, I have to defeat this thing because of the reasons that Batman has in Batman vs. Superman. Because if he is evil, we're in a lot of trouble. we got to get rid of him. And then there was also this extra layer of if he's good, we still can't have him around because we will start to rely on him and we'll stop learning how to fix these problems ourselves. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Which would be a really interesting take on Lex Luthor because you you would give Lex Luthor arguments where it's like, well, he's not wrong. And that's but the if they did that in this the parallel between him and Batman would be they'd basically be the same but then there'd be a point where Batman's moral code would kick in and Lex Luthor doesn't have one so he just keeps going he releases sure. enemies to fight Superman 
until Superman's gone and he doesn't care how much collateral damage is in the way or if he's even mistaken. And that's the other thing. He had fucking kryptonite. He had kryptonite. He knew kryptonite was the thing that could stop Superman. And part of his endgame is he lets Batman take it as opposed to saying, I have the thing that will stop him. You don't need to, like, save Martha. You need to fucking just use your kryptonite bullet and realize I can right. fuck some shit up now. I mean, and, and, and it's, and I mean, it's, ter- it's, a, it's kind of a shitty thing. But again, if we look back at it, at Superman Returns and, you know, like the whole, like, landmass, like the, the kryptonite landmass. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. is it really, I mean, it's stupid, but it, it's not that stupid. You know? <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, so he knows who they are. He's super smart. His energy and his acting and the way he was directed were, were problematic. I would not have mind a young Lex Luthor, a young billionaire like, genius Lex Luthor. That would have been yeah. fine. Everything's I, skewing younger. Like on, on Smallville, on what I've seen of Smallville, I haven't mm-hmm. watched the entire series at all, but I've... I, I became. I watched enough that I became familiar with Michael Rosenberg's Luthor. Rosenbaum, yeah, yeah. Rosenbaum, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> with, Rose, with, Rose, with, a, with Rosenbaum's Luthor. And I, I that was a different Luthor than I'd seen, and I liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there, there are ways that you can hit those notes and still do it differently. And I think it, it hit with Rosenbaum, and for me, it missed with Eisenberg. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. do I need to see another manic bad guy who's kind of goofy? No, you mm-hmm. know. And and part of and as I've gotten older, you know, from starting from Super Friends and <laughs> right. and you know the, the and the Richard Donner movies and all those um, those Superman, I I began to realize that at the very base level, the only reason why Luthor is a bad guy is because he just stands counter to Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman's obviously the good guy. Well, who's you know what do you call somebody who stands counter like on that? basic, simplistic level, right. that's yeah. what made him a bad guy. But then, you know, farther on down the line, when you learn, there's like, oh, so he's kind of a jerk and bad guy because of this and because of this and because of this. But then, like you said earlier, Brian, sometimes Luthor does have a point. You're just like, yeah. oh, man. Well, I mean, he's, that's the other thing is it you kind of got that from Zod in um, Man of Steel as well. There, It should be landing as... There's this this guy who wants to do things that will be really bad for everybody, but he's also way smarter than us. Mm-hmm. So there should be a moment of, maybe he is right. Because, I mean, there's a point at which my gut instinct is, no, you can't do that. That'll kill, like, millions of people. But the other, the flip side of it is, if he's that much smarter, maybe he's right. You kill millions to save billions. It's a horrible thing, and it should never happen in real life. But the in order to be a good bad guy, there's got to be a moment of temptation where you actually start to go, but maybe. Yeah, and I think that, I think that for me, it was just like, it, it, it's a road with potholes, and uh, you know, and like, you would have you have like these great moments in this movie that really make you happy, you know, and then next thing you know, the next block over, you're like driving and like ruining the bottom under training of your car, and that's Jesse Eisenberg. That's the idea <laughs> that Jesse, that Lex Luthor had a hand in fucking Doomsday's creation, that Doomsday was Zod's body metamorphed into a cave troll. With a know? little bit of Luther's blood on With it. With Luther's for some blood. Reason. For some yeah. reason. For some reason. And then dipped you know? into that pool from and, oh, um, you know, from the Age of Ultron that Thor was in. Yeah, yeah the, the, the water of the Norns. So right. my point being, I, that was terrible. So there's terrible things. But I'd like to get into the good things. One inside. second, a second. Uh, I want to go back to something that you said because you're yeah. talking about uh, the direction and the writing mm-hmm. of this movie. And I'm going to step back a couple things sure. about what I said about Eisenberg's performance because I, I think it's a bad performance and I think mm. it doesn't fit the character at all. Yeah. But also he is forced to like do pop sci like 101 stuff 
like throughout the whole movie. And that doesn't help him at all. Because like, well, what's a philosophy lecture by someone who's done way too many quaaludes? Exactly. But. It's just, it's just like that's the other thing that's going against him. That's a writing thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a Goyer thing that he put in there because he's dumping all the thematic exposition yep. onto Eisenberg and that gives mm-hmm. Eisenberg no points really yeah. like in terms of performance and how do you perform that it's hard to perform that when you're a great performer and he's a talented he's a talented enough guy and he he's fed crap I, I still maintain this came up in our last uh, big episode um, I still maintain that in 20 or 30 years we're going to have an expendable style movie that's all um, needly weaselly white guys from this era. So it's going to be Eisenberg and Paul Dano and um, Michael Cera <laughs> and Mila Hirsch. Right. All the guys <laughs> all the the guys who kind of look like they're still in college but they're also obviously in their 50s. Like those guys. That's going to be a, that's going to be a weird movie. Just throwing right. that out there, laying the seed. <laughs> oh it's going to happen. <laughs> And, well, and like the elder statesman of that movie would probably be David Crumholtz from Jesus. Dude, I, I, I'm sorry, and he's yes. on my mind because I just saw Hail Caesar yesterday, mm. and my girlfriend and I were watching, and there's a scene, and she's like, "It's it's that dude from from Numbers," and I was like, "Yeah, Doogie Howser's friend, and he was also the voice of Timon on the on the Timon and Pumbaa cartoon." And she's like, "What?" Like, yeah. So like, he's you know he's he's older, but it's still difficult to. Yeah. She's like, "Oh, hey, it's Doogie's friend, Doogie's bad guy." Max, no, Doogie's friend is Max Casella. David Krumholtz played an elf. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. my. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So then Matt Max was Max was Timon. Yeah. Sorry about that. Max Casella was. <laughs> I'm all mixed Apologies up. Apologies to listen. No, no, no. Yeah. No, you, Sorry, you, Max. no, but you know what? That, that that's funny because those two together that are kind of like the Michael Sarah Jesse Eisenberg of their time. <laughs> uh, so this is old uh, gods do new jobs. You want to talk about good things? I would oh, like yes, to. Yes, I think yes, it's sorry, easy yes. enough to shit on this movie. And I think we pointed out yeah. the things, oh, the really right. big, the really big glaring errors. <sighs> um, this is why I bought it, and I own the Ultimate Edition, and I've rewatched it a couple times because uh, Batfleck was a revelation to me. Uh, he, I mean, the, considering one of the very first things that was reviled about the movie was, as I said earlier, the casting of of this Chowderhead as fucking Batman, and then he turns out to be. An amazing part of the movie. Yeah, we thought he was a chowderhead, but it turns out he was a wicked little pisser. He was a wicked little pisser. So I think the and, and also the action set pieces in the movie were fantastic. Oh, I liked I liked the bits. I love watching Superman just fly off like boom, like like a cannon shot. I liked watching the Batmobile hit him, and he just is implacable. Um, the warehouse fight, guys. The warehouse fight <laughs> where he's like, oh my oh, god. god. The Arkham Asylum portion of it? Oh, yes, 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 yes. The Arkham Asylum, yes. But still, I mean, <laughs> that's nice. a good description. And I, yeah. and I like that somebody pointed out, they're like, okay, so there's that one guy, he shoots with the, the bat grapple gun, and he throws into a wall, and they slow it down. They're like, okay, so Batman just killed like 24 guys. You guys all know that, right? right and I was like, yeah. what? And they go, look. And the guy, and they show him hit the wall, and he falls, and there's like, you go, they're like, that's brain splatter right there. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not Deadpool. Well, like, level, when you're playing the Arkham Asylum game, it's like, oh, yeah, Batman's not killing people. He's totally killing people. Yeah. They're just sleeping. And I, and I, they're they're, just they're tired. Kick. They're so tired because I'm awesome. Yes. yes. And I get it. I get it. I get it. Sometimes so, when they fight, they get really tired and they got to take a nap. But <laughs> it's I, all tuckered out. I love the, I love the warehouse fight. Um... I, I enjoyed Affleck's performance, and I know that she was underused. And I know there were some oh, people that would hate the man. shit out of it. Uh, I know probably some people that you were all close to, uh, <laughs> your former roommate, would probably be like, they didn't use Wonder Woman enough. And they didn't. 
No, they did not. But Gal, uh, uh, Gal Gadot, Gadot, mm-hmm. Gadot, Gal Gadot. Were you for Gal Gadot? She was great. She I was great. Actually this, actually, this movie, waiting for Gal Gadot to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would. Uh, I called the movie. I instead of calling it Batman versus Superman, I would like once I saw the trailer with her in it. Yeah. I would like my excitement level went up of like I'm I want to see yeah. this movie especially just because of her and I started calling yeah. it Wonder it's Woman tr- Saves it, the Day. It, it is, but um, it, she totally felt like the downloadable content for this. Like we they bought yeah, the, they bought the yeah. DLC uh, Wonder Woman pack, so there's a bunch of scenes where it's just the actions happens and then it cuts to her noticing it on the TV as she's yeah. packing or something. Right. No, like and then you have scene, to she's the only here to remind us that Wonder Woman's in. <laughs> she's like she, she goes, well, I beat the game once, and now we get on Wonder Woman. Is she with you? No, I thought she was with you. Oh no, I bought her for five ninety nine. <laughs> right. The, uh, like, I also the got thing. this new skin. <laughs> Check it out, animated series. <laughs> <laughs> the way, like, the, but like it, to that end, yeah, she wasn't in the movie. I, I would have loved seeing her in the movie more. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she appeared, I freaking like wherever she appeared, I felt she elevated the scene. Mm-hmm. So she that did. that wasn't yeah. that was an example of making the most or getting the most out of your screen time. So you know, mm-hmm. there there aren't small parts, only small actors. Well, like, yeah. eh, there are small actors, but this was not one of those cases. Because yeah. she and was just like boop, 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 like Diana and Wonder Woman seeing her show she, up in well, the it was movie. Also, I was just, it, it yes. showed, how, showed how good it is to hold back because she always felt like there was something going on that you weren't knowing. Mm-hmm. Because that sense of mystery is really freaking intriguing. The fact that she's very attractive it doesn't hurt at all. But it always felt like there there were secrets around her that Batman didn't know that like even Lex Luthor maybe didn't know all the way it which just makes you want more of her which you know and she was totally tacked on and underused in the movie but I think you would have wanted more even if she'd been been a central part of the the trinity of them for sure. the whole time mm-hmm. now I think I think another thing is that uh, and this goes it kind of goes back it does go back to the shortcomings of the movie is that uh, you know they're, they're, they're fast tracking this to become part of a larger world you know yes. Justice League's going to be coming out um, Wonder Woman's getting her own movie Wonder Woman is getting her own fucking movie finally part two Wonder Woman's movie is going to be a period piece Yay. which I think I, this is alright so this is my, my geek out moment mm-hmm. if you guys have ever read a book that's called It's Superman never okay. read a book no, no. Mm-hmm. alright so the book It's Superman is fan-fucking-tastic. It starts off in 1935, and the book ends in 1938, and it's basically young Clark Kent growing up in Smallville, Kansas, like, discovering his powers. And it ends with him moving to New York City, which they all call Metropolis, but the fact that it's like, and and Lex Luthor is in it, but he's an alderman, and he is, like, undermining Meyer Lansky (laughs) and, like, all these, like, gang, like, like, gangsters that you know about in order to, like, take control of the city and eventually, like, branch out. And when he discovers that there's this guy who can float and, like, smashes, like, picks up cars and can throw them, he thinks, I want him to come work for me. He goes, because you're a fucking stupid hick from, from Yokelville, but I got a brain and I'm going to use you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a fantastic read. It steamrolls at the end. But the big picture is that it's a period movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that when movies can take a, take a chance, like Captain America, the first Avenger, mm-hmm. like how rad was that? We're like, it's World War II. And right. he's punching out Hitler, man. And so I think the Wonder Woman movie is going to be fantastic. I think the Justice League movie looks pretty fun. I have not seen Suicide Squad. I know it got reviled. I too. haven't seen the Suicide Squad. So I'll be curious. I might go see Suicide Squad this weekend because it's at the Riverview. Oh, oh really? It just got there. Oh yeah. I haven't seen it, but Emily did, and she loved it. 
So okay, two sides of the coin. And still. like, I, and, sorry, go ahead. And finish. Oh, I was going to say just real quick, spinning off the period piece thing. I did love the first Avenger, the first Captain America movie. What super excites me about Wonder Woman is it's a period piece in World War One. Yeah, which there is not enough of that. World War One is a fascinating time in history, and any good World War One movie is a horror movie. Yeah, because it's it's all the awfulness of war that you remember from World War Two with the extra layer of poison gas everywhere, yeah. and literally making your home on layers of dead bodies. Oh, and she... It, there was a story I heard great. from World War One that there was, um, you know, trenches dug in mud, people mm-hmm. drowning in mud, awful things, and it was a British trench where the walk towards the ladder that would go out into actually fighting, near it was a human hand sticking out of the ground, and they'd shake the hand for luck as they passed. You know, it's interesting. And it's just there forever. Side note, I went, uh, we just got back from Paris a couple weeks back. Mm. And, uh, got the, the catacombs? We did. We did. Mm. Uh, as the British people called it, the catacombs. And we're like, why catacombs? Like, well, it sounds like tombs. Um, but we went to, uh, the, uh, the Les Invalides, which is, um, the War Museum. <gasps> and mm. the War Museum it also That's has a chapel, movie. which is fantastic, that has Napoleon's tomb in it, which, and was like, huh, just, it's, you just see it. It's like a fucking SUV-sized fucking marble sarcophagus. But in there, uh, they take their war very seriously. And in France, they take their World War One rather seriously. Oh, yeah. And their their pictorial history on the floor, they show, like, all these mannequins and standees with the uniforms, you know, both the German and the French. And they have really big black-and-white blown-up pictures of the actual trench warfare. And it is... Nasty. It is nasty, oh, yeah. nasty. Oh, and yeah. uh, but evocative of that is seeing the commercials for Wonder Woman, where she's like coming out of a trench with her shield and her glowing lasso and her sword, mm-hmm. her S word, and she's got like armor knee pads on, mm-hmm. and like they're shooting mortars at her, and she's just like, think. Yeah, it's so cool. But it'll that's be, it'll be interesting be, if that film is able to convey like the horrors of World War One in such a way as you just described. Oh, yeah. Or if they even if they try, if it's if just World War Two but with trench war. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, is it going to be Cliff Notes World War One? Yeah. Shit, man! Even in the movie Legends of the Fall, they showed a very brief snippet of it when Brad Pitt and Elliot from ET are over there, and Elliot gets cap like gassed, and he's bleeding out of his eyes, and he's trapped mm-hmm. in fucking barbed wire. And he gets just ripped apart with gunfire. It's, it's nasty. Well, mustard um, gas, God, mustard would, gas. It, uh, mustard. Okay, and I like mustard. Yeah. So here's, anyway, here's my other World War One horror story. Mustard gas um, doesn't float; it sinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it ends up in it goes in, into the trenches. Yeah, it in, not just in trenches, but in the holes in the ground where puddles are. Yep. And there was terrible logistics of getting food and water up to the front, so people would drink the water that had been soaking in mustard gas and be fine, and then 12 hours later die of blood everywhere. So that's the horror movie, is how long did it take to figure out that this is happening because of something I did 12 hours ago because I drank water out of the wrong mud puddle? Well, and I think we also need to remember that it has to be palatable for mass audiences, and it has to be a, a, you know, it's got to be a superhero comic book. Wonder Woman will probably leave that story out. But there's just there's a lot in World War One that has never been. I am really in hungry for a superhero movie that plays on horror tropes. That mm. would be really a fascinating film. Like Ant Man did with like some sort of like crime stuff and like mm. the Captain America films sort of got into with like Spy thrillers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like these other genre adjacent things that they could do with superhero films would be really nice. Mm. Well it's interesting. You get I those think. moments in Batman movies, even this one. Yeah, well I think it's interesting that we what we're seeing now, uh, and we talked about the destruction, and I wanna I know so we can kind of 
wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> it's interesting that these movies are in the interest of being gritty and realistic, which mm-hmm. I don't... My big thing is, like, I want a fucking superhero movie that feels like a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. That this is not realistic. This does not obey the laws of physics. You can joke about that, like Spider-Man did in Civil War. When he's mm-hmm. like, that shield does not obey the laws of physics. <laughs> funny, you know? And... Or he's like, he goes, yeah, he pulls his legs out. He goes, he goes, Iron Man said, go for your legs. Sorry, dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but they, but in, in Civil War, and then also in Batman v Superman, is the ramifications of these world-changing events. You know, so Civil War is the Sokovia Accords, you know, because look at all these cities that you guys fucking were a part of. New York itself was, like, blown up half, you know? And, like, yeah. Metropolis is still rebuilding. And, and it's like... These movies are trying to address that. I don't know if I necessarily need it. I know for a movie like Civil War, we can we can use that to set up Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right. But with Superman, Batman v Superman, it's like, I have no problem with them doing that, and then everything's clean and shiny and sunny the next day. I mean, I, I that suspends my... My disbelief has been suspended. All right, you've got man-gods, and you've got, like, armored vigilantes, and you've got fucking thousands-year-old Amazonians, like, traipsing around, and then these big, massive cave trolls with, like, heat vision. I'm fine with all of that. Give it to me. More, more, more. Give me less of overthinking it. Do not make me have to overthink it and see those plot holes. Start thinking about casting in terms of like Patrick Stewart. Because Patrick Stewart and Wesley Snipes. I'm not sure he'd be a good Wonder Woman. No, but when when Wesley Snipes was cast as Blade, nobody knew who the fuck Blade was. Hmm. We are now all like, fuck man, that guy's Blade. Yeah, but if you look at the comic books, Blade was like a British dude with a green trench coat, and all these things were created <laughs> for the movie. But when Patrick Stewart was cast as Professor Xavier, everyone was just like, that is right. smart casting. That's like, yeah. yes, do it right. And, well, like, you, and people have been writing, I know in Marvels they had Professor X go by in the background, and I think, is that Alex Yul, Ross? No, Yul Brenner. He was trying to look like Yul Brenner. Not in Marvels. Yeah. It's very much Patrick Stewart. It's Patrick. It's only one frame of comic. He's right. not a character, but it's it's clear. It's almost from like a next generation I'm, headshot. I'm kind of thinking he did the the Yul Brenner thing because it was the '60s and he was using. Anyway, don't worry. Yeah. That's another Yul Brenner. Good Professor X. So let's go reread Marvels. Anyway. So that's uh, so yeah. I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think both movies back to back, and I'm curious to see how the rest of the world goes. I'm, I'm gonna to how DC. I'm getting tired. I'm getting a little tired of like the whole DCV Marvel thing. And yeah, I talk to you guys. Oh my god! Well, I, I don't you know, there's have two rats' tails about it. So. I, I don't know. Yeah. and I think that well, people I'm... that shit on like who are like make mine Marvel versus. I, I think the vitriol is is unnecessary to find the enjoyment because I think you can find enjoyment. We have got like in both a, in everything television movies. You know, yeah. and, if, and if you want to go curl back in your confines of your imagination in comics. By all means, go. But I think that the, they have things to enjoy in and of themselves. Yeah. And just like, like uh, I think you and I talked about the prequels. Uh, the start, We say the prequels. We all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, part two came out, uh, Attack, of the, Attack of the Baloney Ponies. And uh, my friend Matt Kesson went and saw it at midnight, and I refused after Phantom Menace. I'm like, I'm not going to see another one of these movies at midnight. And he comes up, and I was like, so? He's like, so what? And I was like, well, how... How was Attack of the Clones? He's like, it's a fucking Star Wars movie, man. <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, okay. And when I saw it, I remember problem, 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 problem. But then lightsabers. 
and mm-hmm. lots and lots of fucking lightsabers and force powers and fights and Yoda bouncing around like a little hyperactive Jesse Eisenberg, you know, mm-hmm. with his little red cherry, such a favorite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I think that there's a lot more to love about these movies, and to, to waste the energy of shitting on them is just that wasted energy. And like not only from a not only from a site from a watching point of view as a media consumer, but I think also as one of well, one of the ways that. I think DC television properties um, could inf- better inform the cinematic properties is that the television properties aren't afraid to have that fun. Yeah. Like when you look at Supergirl and you look at The Flash and not so much so Arrow, but I mean, they're not afraid. You know, The Flash can have, The Flash has its heavy moments, but it's also not completely. You know, rooted in they that King that Shark, could... dude. They brought King Shark. Is that because <laughs> though, broad. Is that because though the stakes are lower in television a little bit? Because so mm. many, like Batman v Superman, oh. like you know, it had a huge budget, right? And yeah. it made back so much of its budget, yeah. like in the opening weekend, and then the subsequent films or the subsequent weekends, and like yeah. internationally, it has to make so much money. Whereas television is just like it's a little bit more. I want to say stayed, but stable. And, like, you can yeah. kind of plan a little bit better mm-hmm. in well, television because, and, like, kind of mediate your risk. Whereas, like, Batman v Superman, you have to hit it all at once. And you yeah. have to get, like, you have to make sure that it's uh, making the money that you're supposed to be making. And, like, I don't know if, like, how Batman, I know Batman v Superman was pretty successful. Like, it was, what, $868 million or something? Made a lot of money. Made a lot of money. Almost a million dollars. But, like, not as successful as they wanted it or whatever. Yeah. But, like, in the television property, because I don't know what the, you know... The penetration of the Hail. hey, the <laughs> the market is for that. What what they have to do to like make back their money? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, well, they also they have more. The time. risk is lower, and they have more time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. because I mean, even the extended crazy long edition of uh, BBS was three hours, three hours and, and twelve minutes, right? And then a um a television show has at least like thirteen forty odd minute episodes. You've got more time yeah, to play time. around. Yeah. Go off. Well, let's go. What's going on over here for a while? Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll come back. Well, oh, think, look, the main so villain I think, again. I think you're right Trivali. in that they they have more time to like explore and take take more risks. But I don't mm-hmm. like the Luke movies. There's so much riding on club movies for from the studios, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like it's hard to like figure out what kind of holes they have to fill for I've been using a lot of <laughs> no, but you know what the thing is about that is like you, Marvel had the luxury of saying let's try Iron Man a fucking B character right mm-hmm. and doing perfect casting again with RDJ as Iron Man um, mm-hmm. but then like it's like Iron Man and then Hulk and then Captain America and then all of a sudden like and Thor and then we have the Avengers so I don't think they had a luxury of going Superman then Batman then Wonder Woman then Justice League you yeah. know what I mean so yeah. it was like Superman are we okay? Okay. Superman, Batman. Are we okay? You know, are we still, are we Are we mm-hmm. too full? You know, let's just throw Wonder Woman on there for a little bit of spice. And then we got Wonder Woman. And then Aquaman is currently filming and wrapping up, you know? And Flash is going to get a fucking standalone movie. And it's like, I, I don't, they're like kind of hedging their bets a little, a little heavy to the, mm-hmm. at the beginning. But I'm, I'm going to be curious because what I liked about seeing the previews for Suicide Squad is that Affleck was like, I'm shooting Batman versus Superman. I'm gonna do some side shots to establish my the world in Suicide Squad. You know, mm-hmm. I'm down with that. I'm I'm okay with that as a as a consumer. I'm okay with that. And I think we're gonna. I think I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we're gonna see some good stuff coming out of the studios. I hope whatever they do with Green Lantern in the future, they don't fuck it up. Didn't they just Green Lantern two? 
Not with uh, Ryan Reynolds. It's, no, it's, it's, uh, lantern, it's a lantern killing, core thing that they're going killing for. Killing Deadpool. That's it. Yeah. The only part of the Green Lantern movie I liked was the stuff on Oa. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was actually much more fun. My favorite line in that movie was, we shall fly now. And he's like, what? What? And he just kind of steps off the cliff and all of a sudden he's... Oh. Yeah, the Oa stuff was great. Yeah, I just like, I don't care about Earth. Killwog. I mean, that's yeah. not, <laughs> not really. Who cares about They do got the chicken-faced yeah. lantern guy. I was like, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. did. But I, yeah, like BVS was... It was a, like, I honestly... And, you know, people are now starting to admonish people just like, you know, manage expectations. And I think I'm I think I'm mostly good at managing expectations now. And and for me, if that's what it takes to be able to live, you know, if that's what it takes to be able to get to something greater, then I'm personally okay with that for movies more than I am in real life. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So like eh, like so for me BVS was BVS for me was enough, and I think part of that is just because I, I attribute part of that to the fact that I am not personally as invested in canon, and you know I I'm ready. I, I like what's looking like it's coming down for the Justice League. I loved I loved Wonder Woman in BVS. wasn't a fan of Eisenberg's Luthor. wasn't a fan of Doomsday, but I'm still okay with Cavill as Superman and. I really liked Affleck as Batman. I yeah. liked him. The performance in Beavis. <laughs> yes, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Beavis. The performances Beavis. in Beavis were just fine, except for Eisenberg. Except for Eisenberg. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I like all the actors. I had no problem with them, and like I'll be fine with seeing them. Thank you for dragging me, kicking and screaming into like the DC cinematic universe because now I guess I'm invested. <laughs> I, I there's, my, there's my tacit approval of this. At least, at least mildly invested. I think they're. I think what they're doing is. I mean. There's been some backlash in that Suicide Squad wasn't awesome, but again, they said that some of the individual performances, like Margot Robbie, was fantastic. Um, and I know there's a standalone Harley Quinn movie. Yep, I she's I producing it. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, yeah. But Whoa. then there's uh, but then there's oh, yeah. like I've seen the Justice League trailers, and I'm like, I'm I'm down with Ezra Miller as a Flash. I am so far down with Jason Momoa as I'm that iteration of Jason fucking Momoa as fucking Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. And I am still way down with uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. And yep. I'm still down with Ben Affleck. And, I mean, they cut. He's some, playing a uh, cyborg. Uh oh shit! Because they introduced him in BVS. Ray something or other. I just yeah. started following him on Checking Instagram. It Even though um, what's his name Dyson didn't learn anything from the Terminator franchise. Oh still right, yeah, he's the doctor that builds him up. All I know is that kid is fucking cut. They show him working out, and he's in great shape for a guy who's a vegetarian. So, you know, how much? I don't know how much, but I might want to spend. Like, what's the differences between like the theatrical and the extended cut? Because it's like I, I'm kind of like curious. Ray about, Fisher. Ray Sorry. Fisher. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about like what the theatrical cut is like. The theatrical cut was I was honestly like just it felt it felt a lot more stilted. You know what I mean? Like there was less. There was there was less like what's like, felt more stilted. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's like the the three hour cut felt like a more complete movie, like a like a smarter, more complete movie. The other one felt like it was chopped and edited for television. So like you're 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 seeing like the plot holes that we're talking about and the shit the, the goodwill mm-hmm. that we're losing uh, lost 
on me. Like I just was, I found myself like zoning, like wondering how much time, and I was like checking my watch. And finally, the final battle scene came around, and it's just like, God damn it! Finally, something's happening, you know. <laughs> But in, in the extendo cut, I think it, it felt like a more complete movie. Okay. The, the one thing I know, I, I didn't watch the theatrical release. I, I only know this from reaction videos I've watched since then. The one thing that got added to the extended is there's the whole plot sequence where Batman's branding criminals and then they're getting killed in prison. So it's implied that like the Bat brand is a death sentence. And apparently in the theatrical cut, they only mention one criminal gets branded and then killed in prison. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a child molester who went to a prison in Gotham City. Maybe the brand wasn't what did it. Yeah. But then the extended implies that there's been dozens of these guys, so it's a pattern you can find now instead of just two data points. The other Beavis thing that I didn't really like was the time stuff. There's, like, weird, like, jumps in time and, like... Stuff like you know the terrorist sequence at the beginning, like mm-hmm. of it, like then that woman who was over there suddenly is living in America and has an apartment, but then she's kicked out of her apartment. Right, right. And this right. all happens within like a week or something. It's like the yeah. the, t- the time is like scrunched down. And so then she live in America now. Yeah, it's just like what you're visiting for this thing. I like the I forgot to mention. I really like the nightmare sequence. Uh, I'm sorry, we were kind of wrapping up. I know. Right. <laughs> I, and I apologize. Yeah, but I sorry. really like the nightmare sequence of like seeing the Omega sign of uh, mm-hmm. the yeah. dystopian yeah. thing. Yeah, the Steve dark Punk side. Batman looking. Uh, yeah, and then you know I, I thought that was cool. And parademons. You get more parademons. Which are going to be fav- like figuring into the next movie? Parademons are, I guess, according to Sam Lambert, a big fucking deal in the DC world. Like they're mm-hmm. the acolytes of Darkseid. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that's all we have to say about Beavis. Do we have anything up on the docket? Well, no, no. do we, we have the this? compare and contrast moment? Or we? I think we've I think pretty, we've much, pretty much said as much. What well, was baked into this? The, the one thing I want to throw out because I actually held off on saying it until this was the. Right, I didn't know we were skipping part three of our three sorry, part sorry. thing. Um, <laughs> is the the different ways the movies dealt with the no kill rule? Because the first one, as we talked about, um, doesn't really set up the Superman no, no kill rule, but still makes it a big deal when he violates it. But then Batman's no kill rule and Beavis 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 um, is not mentioned at all, and he kills so many guys. You can't machine gun a, a SUV and expect everyone to just get out of there with mild concussions. Yeah. It, it's, well, in all fairness, in the original Michael Keaton Batman, he did blow the fuck up. Yeah, and, chemical yeah. factor. And honestly, <laughs> I I have no trouble with Batman killing bad guys as long as that you know him not doing it is not an integral part of the character. Sure, I just think it shows maybe hypocrisy that you have two movies neither mention the no kill rule, but the one makes it a central important emotional plot point, and the other one's like, well, we didn't mention it. Guns, explosions, throwing a a crate, it, even if it's empty, he's got to weigh a ton into a guy's head. We didn't mention he doesn't kill anybody, so sure, yeah, he kills a lot of guys. Yeah, you know, that the whole, that whole thorough line, the no-kill rule, is sort of an interesting thing to deal with when you're thinking about these movies, because it's it's already, uh, to use that word again, baked into the mythos of like mm-hmm. both Superman and Batman, mm-hmm. and if like, you're going to discard it, you almost have to like push back against it somehow, you have to like kind of lampshade it for yeah. the audience. Well, and it's and not even, I don't know if they did that. Still really. a good action sequence! <laughs> even though it's baked, yeah, even though it's baked in and very much part of the mythos now, it wasn't always. I mean, no, the, no, the third not. issue a Batman, he shoots a vampire in the heart with a silver bullet. That's a vampire. Which, a, a that's not how you kill a vampire. B, oh, he's just shooting a guy in the third issue. Okay. I got no problem with Batman using guns either. Right. Chill yeah. the fuck out, people. He's done it before. I'm sure he knows how to use a gun. Right, right? This is a gun? He is the acne of, of human achievement. That's the whole idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, comparison-wise, like, I have more goodwill toward Man of Steel than sure. I have toward Beavis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you've been burned. <laughs> All right. But it's interesting that they treat the rule the same and then expect it to have different consequences. That's all I'm saying. What else do we have to talk about? Um, how about you? Have any news you want to say? Uh, no, not really. I'm in school trying to figure out a topic for my law review papers for both Cyberus and uh, Cyberus is the intellectual property mag on campus and then the other law review. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. Uh, I, in October, I've been trying to watch horror films, so that's been fun. Yay! Uh, I watched a stinker last night called Chillerama, which I had to shut off uh, when they got to the... Sequence of the diary of Anne Frankenstein, yeah. and then like putting together bodies oh, based what? on uh, like Holocaust victims was a little bit beyond the pale for me. Oh my yeah. <laughs> oh, word! It was and you didn't leave did it? you shut it out? Did you try to watch it? I had it on my queue and I started watching it and I was like, nope, nope, nope. I think I was drunk and I even didn't like it. I got, I got <laughs> an hour into it and I was like, you know what? I no, I'm done. Yeah, it was pretty. It's just like, ugh. but I've, I've said, I've said like as above, so below with the catacombs. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Uh, what else have I really liked? I've really liked. Uh, shoot, none of them come to mind right, right off the bat. Uh, but like, I've been trying to do that. I'm going to try to watch Channel Zero at okay. some point this weekend, which is the new sci-fi series that they got oh, going. Yeah. Parents really uh, kind of like freaky and horror centric and not sci-fi at all nice. but sci-fi Ooh. doesn't do sci-fi right <laughs> so that's what I've been doing Great. what have you been doing oh man I, I have so much to catch up on I've maybe seen of, of my regular shows I think I've maybe seen I've seen only one episode of Gotham and two episodes of Agents See, of S.H.I.E.L.D. the first two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. you mean the current seasons or yeah the current seasons okay. um, I just saw that Black Mirror season three is coming out soon. Uh, on do, Netflix. I actually want to get to Black Mirror. Uh, it's, I think it's episode. Friday. It's it's Friday, yeah. October twenty first. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited about that. That's going to be one that I'll want to binge watch. But I you can't I can't binge watch Black Mirror. <laughs> um, Greg, I still where can we find you online? Oh yeah. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> is man in Twin Cities. Like where are you? Uh, my uh, take a note. It'll probably be about before this. My Twitter is at Mister Parks nineteen seventy three. That's M I S T E R. Um, so Mister is spelled out. Um, my blog is. I am. So, I've been so busy and distracted that I haven't even been writing on my blog recently. Um, but it's freelance dork on Blogspot. Um, and then things that are coming up soon. Oh man, uh, I am in. I'm part of an improv show called Rated G. That is Saturdays in October and November at Huge Theater at 4 p.m. That is all ages, family friendly improv based on a Disney movie format. So it's musical. Huh. Uh, so that's Saturdays at Huge Theater at 4 p.m. It's a new slot, especially for this show. I am also going to be in a show produced by Impossible Salt. In Ooh. December, that will be at the Nautilus Theater in Saint, in Saint Paul in Lower Town. So those dates will be coming up. Uh, That's accessible on the Green Line, people. Yes, it is. Right, it's just <laughs> bam, it's right near the it's end right of the there. Green Line. It's right there, and plenty of good food and places to go. And then I am also going to be in Park Square Theater's production of Midsummer Night's Dream Ooh, in nice. December. Ooh, nice. So who are you playing? Looking forward to that. I'm playing bottom. Excellent. Right on. Nice. Congratulations. Yes, it'll be it'll be fun. Are you gonna so. have the gazillion shows for the students and everything? Is that yep. Gonna be the- yep. That's what that's what that is is uh, the student shows for that. And then I'm uh, who knows what else. I'm already I'm already thinking of doing a fringe show, and I've got 
ideas and oh, that the deadline must for be coming up for that for Fringe. Yeah, I think December? I don't. I don't know if they've opened it up yet, but. Yes, well, I have. in a transition period. Yeah, <laughs> I have. I have an idea to do a one-man show. I might do my. I might try to do my solo improv for Fringe, which would be just me improvising, mostly silent for about forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, that's been a great adventure. I've loved doing that. But I have a very geeky idea also for a show with the whole cast and everything. So we'll see <laughs> how that pans out. How about you, B-Dub? Uh, ooh, stuff. Um, well, I am still in the midst of planning my wedding next year, um, which is a lot of, come on, why isn't this just working? We want a simple wedding. Why is this a, uh, everybody get over yourselves. Um, (laughs) got a lope. Oh God, I, you have no idea. We were in, um, Vegas in February (laughs) and posted a status update of being at the drive-thru chapel and we were there for other reasons, but you're fucking geocaching, crying out loud and people lost their minds. Yeah. And I stole the gag from you and and it fooled the, (laughs) it fooled the hell out of Rachel and it was like, you, I got, I stole this idea from you. Oh my God. Uh, I know. It's really fun to do with you when like you're in Vegas and you go there and like, Hey, this place is pretty cool. And you check in at like a drive-thru chapel. Right? People start going. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's the only time I've ever let Facebook on my phone know where I am, just so I could check in someplace. But what I mean, you're producing a show, and you're also in the haunted basement, right? Yes, I'm in the haunted basement. Which I don't know if this episode's going to drop before that's closed. But if it does, it depends on how I don't know ambitious yeah. I am. It, it closes on Halloween, so if you're listening to this, look at a calendar and find out if you're already too late. Um, <laughs> and then I will be doing. Klingon. If not, come back next year. Huzzah! Yay. I will be doing Klingon Christmas Carol again. Um, Right? I'll miss you, Brian. I got shifted, too. I'm no longer the nephew. Oh! So everything changes. Yeah. The, the world moves only forward. Um, <laughs> so that, that'll that be happening December at the Mounds Theater in St. Paul. And if this episode doesn't drop by then, it just means that Josh's law school has eaten him. Good. Right. Very well and then um, what else is going on? Oh, oh, this is legit exciting. So I'm a part of um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, Shadowcast that happens here in the Twin Cities. Last Saturday of every month at the Uptown Theater. And we're doing two shows this month because Halloween's always huge, which that's every year. But also Fox is doing their remake, which drops on Thursday, the 20th. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, wow. And that all of a sudden caused a whole bunch of interesting, like, interested parties in the Twin Cities to come. Hey, we should find out what the Shadowcast is talking about. So I'm going to a press interview after this, and there may be two more in the next few days. Still plenty of time for some of those to fall apart, but I'm getting, like, interviewed by legitimate news organizations, and they all just suddenly realized maybe we should talk to these guys in the last few days, so it's all coming together very fast. But it's it's a strange experience, and I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> Other than uh, that, I just finished Luke Cage. It's good. Watch it. Uh, I still have to start that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this is my, I don't this have is a Netflix my, account right now. My, so my, my, small world, my small world trivia is that the guy playing Brad in the new version... Uh, his uh, mm-hmm. kid's name, I think, is Ryan McCartan. That sounds like me. So Ryan McCartan, his dad, uh, was my science teacher in high school. <laughs> Yay! Uh, yeah, when I was at the History Theater in uh, the Christmas Schooner, he was a little kid. Uh, he was playing the, a little kid role who was, by the end of the show, is, is an adult telling a story. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my little weird story. And, nice. uh, yeah, he was one of our football coaches. All right. So I, um, I am at still at Mikey Postel for Twitter and... I'm seeing this up because I'm supposed to be out of town. I told my wife I'd be home by now. I'm in so much trouble. Um, 
I am also most of the way through. I was almost finishing up Luke Cage, and then I was able to coerce Rachel to see it, and now I got her hooked because I gotta <laughs> tell you, Marvel, Marvel on Netflix has got a fucking game, and their oh, yeah. game is their aces. Their and defenders Luke Cage, thing is mm. Luke Cage rocks my world. And I my can't wait off. to see it. Uh, I am currently working at the Mystery Cafe, yes. so www.themysterycafe.com, and I'll be doing that all the way until. February. Uh, I was really happy to be invited to be a part of that. Uh, and then I am doing Twin Cities Horror Festival if this drops before then. Ooh. I'm in a play called Severed, directed by Paul Von Pretzel, who we've had on the Ooh. podcast before. Paul Von Stetzel, sorry. Paul Von Pretzel. Uh, but yeah. It's, <laughs> now I'm uh, never going to be able to call him anything else. <laughs> um, he's been great. No, it's been, it's been, it's a, written by Timmy Wren. Um, oh, um, man. So, oh. A place called Severed. And I'm all, I start with that and then that. And I'm still doing some improv gigs at the Wabasha Street Caves. Yay! And uh, on Monday, two, two days from now, on my mom's birthday, we're going to be doing the internment at Fort Snelling for both she oh. and my dad. So I've had, oh. I've had their cremains at home now for a very, very too long to have cremains in my fucking China hutch. So, um, yeah, that's that's really what's going on in my world. And try and, and once I get four fucking scripts out of my head, I can get back to, like, uh, I'm going to finish up uh, Flash Season 1. Yay. I'm on Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. I am on Arrow Season 3. And, and I mean, that's that's basically what's going through. And I'm also doing what you're doing, and I'm trying to, like, see as much horror. And I've got Crimson Peak I'm sitting on. It follows mm. I'm sitting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Crimson Peak is good. And then, I don't think it's really that horror. No, 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 like no. Seven. There's no jump scares. It's a lot more atmospheric. It's very is, gothic romance, yeah. actually. He um, does, uh, GDT does ghosts really well. Yeah, I does. will see anything that he does ghosts. I, w- I would love to see Guillermo del Toro and Tim Uren partner Collaborate. up. Collaborate. That would be really awesome. Speaking of which, for our horror-minded people, next year at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Yes! February. February. He is, Guillermo is sending his personal collection of horror memorabilia, which I think is going to be rad I think the entire Haunted Basement crew is going to go at once and just bum-rush the museum. We've been plotting about that. Sell out. Uh, but yeah, getting back from uh, Paris a couple weeks ago, it was a fantastic trip. That was our delayed honeymoon. And yeah, it's everything you could ever want. If you spend a week in Paris, you are doing mm-hmm. it right. Yeah. Oh, it, was yeah. a, it was a very, very wonderful... I I spent a week in Paris while recovering from the worst food poisoning of my life, and it was still one of the best experiences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Food and lights, and all I can do is the lights. Musée uh, d'Orsay. That's been Man of Steel versus Beavis. Yeah. Right? And also other things. And also other things. Nothing plotted out yet for the next one, but we will hopefully have another guest. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I still feel like I forgot a whole bunch of stuff. Thank you again for dragging me kicking and screaming into the DC Cinematic Universe. (laughs) Cookie pants. Thank you for being open-minded. I still can't believe we found a time all four of us were free at the same time. I know. That's sort of unprecedented. It it just took time. Right. But until next time, this is Double Bill. Double bill. Up, up, and away! Double bill, double bill. Comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill. It's double bill.